Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and there was a storm last night. Yes. Did you sleep well? I didn't sleep well through it. You didn't? No. What happened? I just was crazy. There was hail hitting the windows. Um, Winter is truly hitting us here down under. Um, But nevertheless, even though not much sleep, I'm ready to unleash a storm of helpful content. Oh, wow. Yes, you are. And look, without further ado, let's just get into it. I um, will make sure I have my umbrella handy. Good. Uh, we are part way through a mini series on formation. And uh, last week we were talking about stress and the way that impacts growth and formation. Uh, this week, we're going to delve into a, a phrase that you have coined, Mark, mm. called helicopter pastoring you've mentioned it a few times uh in this series and yeah uh, do you want to unpack what that means what does helicopter pastoring mean what well, sort of a something is a hybrid of a term which um, has been floating around for a few years which is helicopter parenting mm-hmm. and that's a concept that increasingly um there are parents who um uh hover over like a helicopter over their kids lives doing everything for them mm-hmm. um, stopping them from in a sense learning self-responsibility um, trying to prevent anything bad happening to them um, I think it's in I think it's in Scandinavia they call it um, curling parents like that you know that game curling oh with the with yeah. what looks like a broom in a kettle yes which yeah. we don't do I'm sure in Canada and places like that they know what they're talking about what this game is but essentially you know like the argument is that you're going ahead smoothing out the path Got it. for the the curling is it a stone we don't know don't we're from know. australia um but that concept that um where you helicopter over your kid's life and one of the really interesting things i think early on in this pandemic was this process which people went through where there was a lot of um I guess control and authority had to be released. Um, and in a sense, we didn't have people in the room like we used to. Services weren't mm. happening. And I think a lot of people forecast the disaster. We didn't know what would happen. Um, but I'm hearing from so many different people that they're seeing, not everyone, but a lot of people actually have really run with this in their congregations and taken responsibility um, for their own discipleship to disciple mm. um, themselves, their households, their families, friends. And it made me realize that, hang on, have we, in a sense, been helicopter pastoring? Um, and talking to a couple of pastors who were like, you know, there's this particular couple, there's this guy, there's this family who for years have come to our services, for years have been in our programs. And then in two months of COVID-19 have actually grown more. Yeah. And, and I, just, I just really wondered, is there an element where what the, what the pandemic has revealed is perhaps a flaw Mm-hmm. in in how we were discipling people and forming people. So I guess this one is really about formation, but the role we're playing in forming people. Okay. And it made me pick up a book, which I read a number of years ago, um, and look at it in a new light. And I picked it up off my shelf as I was thinking about this concept of, have we been helicopter pastors? And it's a book that was written in 1962 by a Anglican missionary uh, who was in northern China. And his name was Roland Allen. And the book was called Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Owls. 
And um, essentially, he posits a really interesting question in this book. And um, I'm actually going to read it from the first page where he positions his question. He says, In little more than 10 years, St. Paul established the church in four provinces of the empire, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Asia. Before AD 47, there were no churches in these provinces. In AD 57, St. Paul could speak as if his work there was done and could plan extensive tours into the far west without anxiety, lest the churches which he had founded might perish in his absence for want of his guidance and support. When he left them, he left them because his work was fully accomplished. This is truly an astonishing fact. That churches should be founded so rapidly, so securely, seems to us today accustomed to the difficulties, the uncertainties, the failures, and the disastrous relapses, almost incredible. Mm. So what Roland Allen was asking, and he was asking this question really more thinking about the missionary field, but I think it's very relevant today is when we want to go and start a church or start a mission, there's so much we bring. There's so many programs, there's so much money, there's so much structure that we often bring. How does Paul pull this off in sometimes going to a place where there are no Christians and then a few months later handing over leadership to them and then that church is established centuries later? And, you know, I just thought a lot about Roland Allen. And so I just reread the book, um, one of my COVID-19 pandemic reads. And, you know, I saw a number of, I guess, themes and, and I guess pointers to us emerge. Great. Well, you have come up with a, a series of seven ways to move from helicopter pastoring to the priesthood of all believers. Shall I take us through it? Yes. Great. So number one, step into the once in a lifetime opportunity to see the priesthood of believers become a reality. Yes. <laughs> so the great dream of the Reformation um, was that the church would be released and to be who she was meant to be. Mm. And part of that releasing was this concept of the priesthood of all believers, which we see in Scripture. Um, Peter you know, paints this picture of you know, the priesthood being this royal priesthood, mm. that no longer is it just this priest in the temple, um, this Levitical tribe as it was uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, but the church is to be this priesthood. And that is delegated to everyone. And there's a radical release there of, um, uh, I guess, authority to, to everyone. And I think that so many leaders, and I've been in this place, which, which during the pandemic have actually been focused on how do we just get through this? And almost how do we get past the event? Mm-hmm. And we did a quick video yesterday that um, we talked about it's easy to see COVID-19 like an event, like September 11th was an event you could watch. It happened on September 11th in Manhattan, yeah. caught on video as those planes and obviously in Washington as well. And I think it was in Maryland where the other one crashed, but it happened at a particular time and place. Yeah, it was Rather, finite. It was yeah. finite, exactly. This is something that we're living through. It's actually something which is forming us. Mm. And so in a sense, I'm encouraging people to switch from the mentality of how do we just get through this? How do we get my church intact from what it was like before and, and reconfigure at the mm. end of this when we can gather again, move from that mentality to hang on, what's the invitation in this? I think there is a fundamental invitation. We had Terry Walling, um, who was on the podcast recently, and, and he 
we had him interviewed in our service and he just dropped this line where he said, what if this is the invitation to truly fulfill the promise of the reformation to create a priesthood of all believers? Yeah. And so I think there's an element where, first of all, you have to step into that versus just a mode of maintenance in your thinking. Okay. Well, number two, practice the power of persuasion instead of persuasive power. Practice the power of persuasion instead of persuasive power. So Roland Allen notes that one of the ways that Paul led is very different to how we lead today. And he realized that what Paul was coming from was almost a persuasion. You see Paul arguing in his letters like, guys, please listen to me. Paul's talking about other leaders like the super apostles who almost seem to have more credence and mm. almost seemingly more authority over some mm. of these early churches. And Alan notes that Paul led not with, in a sense, this persuasive power where he's going to tell you what to do and have authority over you to actually rather this persuasive model of. So instead of persuasive power where I can punish you or I can exercise authority over you, rather Paul is coming from this place, Alan realized, of persuasion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key difference here. I realized very early on, I don't have the persuasive power that I used to as, as you know, leader of Red. Mm. That in a sense now, I can't force people to turn into our live stream. I can't, I can't make them gather into huddle groups. I can't you know, authoritatively command them to disciple their households. And there's this element where we've moved now into actually a thing where, no, we're actually persuading people to do these things and we can't control them. And I know a lot of people are struggling with this, but actually this is more how Paul led. And I think we need to lead into this, um, this mode of persuasive leadership instead of persuasive power. Yeah, great. All right, number three, we need to break our addiction to the Western activist or controller model. Yeah. So in a sense, these almost two are linked. That in order to move into that power of persuasion, um, instead of persuasive power, we have to break with that idea of persuasive power. Yeah. Alan noticed that Western missionaries going to the two-thirds world um, found themselves often coming out of this sort of mode, which was uh, the activist mode, which is mm-hmm. less about, I'm not so much talking about like, the, say, the social justice activist. It's more about you lead through doing a bunch of stuff. And yeah. there's a bunch of programs. You work your butt off and you're doing all these things to make everything secure and make everything right where you're controlling reality and reshaping it to the vision mm-hmm. that you feel is before you. And in a sense then, once you do that, once you set up and you have this activist framework, then you have to control it. And Alan noted that not everyone in the two-thirds world thinks like that. <laughs> that actually that's a very Western mode of thinking, mm-hmm. that in a sense that this is high value on authority. Now, there is definite authority in the two-thirds world. There's, there's no doubt about that. In fact, one of the interesting things that happened in the West is that authority has increasingly become undervalued. Mm-hmm. Some of the reasons that I think the church is growing in the two-thirds world is that some of those cultures have a higher level of authority. Um, and uh, whereas we've totally deconstructed it in the sort of post-Christian West. Mm-hmm. But what that does is that people leading churches then realize the lack of that. So there's this danger that we push even more into it. Yeah. Okay. And so we try and build a bigger platform for ourselves because you try, like, let's just say this, like think of, 
I'm going to be really honest. Leading in the pre-COVID-19 reality as a leader was really hard sometimes in the West. Yeah. In a place like Australia, which even more devalues authority and has a culture <laughs> of devaluing yeah. authority, it's difficult. But I still think there's an invitation here because mm. the answering to that lack of authority is not just to be more authoritative in an earthly sense. Okay. Well, number four, follow Paul's model of persuasive leadership combines relational love and spiritual authority. So in a sense, this is the answer to that. Okay. Um, so really those three are linked. So, okay, the activist model comes and tries to do a bunch of things, build something, keeping it going with your energy, human energy, with your authority, with, you know, big is better. And... And that doesn't even necessarily have to mean a big church. It's just like you're in command of it all. You understand all the issues. You're doing all the stuff. You're responding to every need. You are the leader who is in control. But what you see with Paul is that this model of persuasive leadership combines this incredible relational love. He mm. genuinely loves these people. He prays for them. His heart is for them. He less wants to control them than to actually see God's best be for them. Yeah. And he realizes the lack of control that he has, but his heart yearns to see them flourish as disciples. And really, then that love, which is truly biblical love, actually flows from a spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. So what Paul has is he doesn't have the whiz-bang uh, presentation and platform of the super apostles of his day. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have this authority where he comes in and does everything and Paul's still in Ephesus 20 years later and has built this gigantic ministry and he's over everything and has yeah. this massive staff. That actually what this is flowing from is not positional authority, it's actually flowing from spiritual authority. Okay. When you realize how little in control you truly are, then you realize you can only lead from spiritual authority. In the post-Christian West, where we don't have the respect for authority, where increasingly ministers are looked down on, the churches looked down on, mm. the whole culture undermines authority. Um, there's a sense there. Well, even interestingly, like how presidents and prime ministers almost anti-authority sometimes. Yeah, you know, they yeah. like pretend to be the rebels against you know the authority. The invitation then is to actually move and embrace our weakness. Paul said, "When I am weak, I am strong." Mm. And out of that understanding of our weakness and our lack of control actually flows a spiritual authority. So I think there's this invitation that if we're going to move away from pastoral um, helicopter pastoring, that we actually have to then step into spiritual authority, which is grounded, then flows into a relational love for our people. We actually see our people as genuine human beings versus a bunch of cogs yeah. in your plan. Well, the next one, five, I think leads from there. Knowing where you and the people you lead begin and end. Yeah. Um, this is less from Alan, but this is more from, um, you know, oft quoted uh, book, The Failure of Nerve by Edwin Freeman. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he talked about the non-anxious leader. And one of his, um, I guess, tenets of being a non-anxious leader was knowing where you and the people you lead end. Um, so in other words, what begins to happen is when you're following the authoritative control level of leadership, yeah. you then, where does your identity end mm -hmm. 
And where does, where's the dividing line between your entity and what you're doing and what you're leading and what you're controlling? When what you're doing and what you're leading and what you're controlling gets mixed up with your identity, eventually there's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Because if you are then called away by God from that thing, if God leads you out, mm-hmm. um, that's going to lead to an identity crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, also that can mean is that you then start to control what you're leading in order to feed your identity. Mm-hmm. You start to believe the, the, the applause. Um, and this is particularly challenging for people who are very talented, Definitely. <laughs> who are great leaders, great preachers, great worship you know, pastors, um, because all of a sudden you're going to get people who are, who are applauding you. And also in the midst of this, Again, and we've sort of talked about this in the last few weeks, we have to remember that we do ministry in the cultural background of celebrity. Yes. In celebrity, celebrity is a codependent relationship between the star and the audience. The star identity is found in the audience Mm -hmm. and the audience finds their identity and aspirations in the star. And sadly, this has seeped into the church. And this codependent relationship, actually, if you look at a helicopter pastor, sorry, a helicopter parent. Yes. Ultimately, you're going to find a codependent relationship between a child and parent Uh where the child is kept in a form of childlikeness, even into adulthood, and the parent wants to stay as the parent of a younger child. Yeah. It's really hard for parents and children to go into adulthood and trans, uh, I guess, you know, transition into an adult-adult relationship as parent and child versus Mm -hmm. you're the child. And you see this. You see... You know, the person who is a fully functioning adult and yeah. and then all of a sudden they're in the workplace, they're great, they're mature, they go home and all of a sudden this dynamic happens and mum's telling them off for putting their feet on the couch or something <laughs> and then it just all goes back to, you know, the eight-year-olds and the parents. Yep. And in a sense, I think there can be a same thing with churches here. We wanting to actually, we don't mean to, but when we take the applause of a congregation of people that we're leading we can keep them as spiritual children Mm -hmm. also what can happen then and my friend alan hirsch had a great line he said to me recently he said leaders end up stealing the glory from jesus and he said there's a lot of glory stealing happening in the world today (laughs) and in a sense the glory is not for us but it can be addictive it can be a drug Mm. and and the people who give that drug are people who want to be kept in that childlike state so there is pastors and churches where there is a codependent relationship. Now, I believe that what's happening is that this model, so this moment rather, mm-hmm. of COVID-19 is a break in that. So, for example, the the person who's in a codependent relationship with their parents, so their kid moves to the other side of the world and all of a sudden they're not there. It's a reset moment yeah. and they can then come back and rebuild that relationship. That's happening with us. We don't have the control over our congregations that we did. We don't have the authority that we did. We can't get them in a room. And a lot of people are feeling the sense of loss. But I actually want to argue, what if that's a healthy sense of loss? Yeah. There's the loss in terms of missing people. I get that. I want to see people. I miss people. Um, there's a miss of, I miss the crescendo of a worship service. There's stuff, but also I'm realizing, hang on, Mark. What if this was never your church? Yeah. What if you're a steward? What if these people were not your people, they're God's people, and you're just playing a role in a time? That's hard. And also, there's also a, a sense of what that means for the congregation as well. Yeah. Whew, that was a big one. Um, number six, the persuader model does better in chaotic environments. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, uh, 
you know, I just finished Roland Allen's book, and I'm, and I'm the next book I was reading is um, John Lewis Gaddis's book called Grand Strategy. Um, he ran this course at Yale and um, on strategy, and um, he was a historian. And in it, um, he has one chapter, and he says basically he's talking about how do you lead in a chaotic environment, and he says there's two types of leaders: leaders who have this goal, and they're just going to smash towards it regardless of what constraints are in the foreground Mm -hmm. they're the leaders who tend to have the most problems that as soon as you want to come out of the authoritative controller activist thing you've got to control the entire environment because if the environment changes it starts to undermine you Mm -hmm. he then argued that there's also this sort of persuader type of leader who understands where they're going they understand their goal that they're called towards but they also understand there's going to be constraints So he says that they go with the flows. And he even uses this word. He said it's persuasive leadership. They see someone who doesn't agree with them, Mm -hmm. not as a blockage, but actually someone to be persuaded. Mm. So I actually want to, you know, I guess I'm arguing here that this, we need to step into this persuasive model of leadership because it's far more adaptable to the chaotic world that we're going to be living in. Yeah. Yeah, I won't go into this now. Maybe we'll do one soon and rebuild was about the various cultural changes. COVID-19 is just the just one of many chaotic events that are going to happen in our lifetime mm-hmm. as the world becomes more globalized. And, you know, so the kind of leadership we need to move towards is much more like a instead of a, a giant, you know, battleship that's hard to turn, actually much more like a speedboat yeah. that's able to go over the waves and navigate. And when you step out of trying to control everything, um, interestingly, um, uh, uh, Roland Allen does say that what was unique about Paul is that he had strategy, but he was also led by the Spirit. Okay. There's the man of Macedonia. His, his plans got changed. God, he, but he had the sensitivity to the Spirit. So COVID-19 wrecked all our plans. Red Church's plans got wrecked for 20, 2020. <laughs> Did I say 2019? 2020. Yeah. And that's happened to a lot of people. But... We still want to move towards our goal of renewal, of equipping people, of seeing God move with power. Yeah. But also let's see, okay, how has the environment changed? And now let's see what are the flows that we can go with. And let's persuade people now to come with us and step into renewal mm. instead of just trying to control everything. So Alan says that you have to have that Paul sense of spirit-led strategic leadership. Yeah, great. Well, our final one, number seven, Leading people to water versus giving them the fire hose. Yeah. There's this sense that Alan says that what, what not sense, Alan says <laughs> that what Paul did is taught his people to be learners. Mm. And he's equipping them how to think, not just telling them everything to think. Yes. He is equipping them. And I think this is partly Paul's, you know, training as as an extremely skilled rabbi. Mm-hmm. There was a whole process of how rabbis learnt and they went backwards and forwards and they learnt Torah and what the various rabbis said. So Paul comes in going, I'm not just going to be the super smart guy who then teaches you everything. He teaches them really key things. So he does give them information. But what he doesn't just do is just a fire hose of information. Yeah. I realize at this point in time, you know, there's a real tension here where we could just get on social media because we don't have our people and do podcasts continually. So I think a lot of people is like, how much do we just go fully into content now yeah. and be delivering stuff? But there is a danger that we can be delivering so much content that it keeps people in this passive state mm. and also they'll start to tune out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the Netflix conundrum where all of a sudden yeah. you can watch all these films 
um, but you sit there and you've scrolled through them all for 45 minutes and you don't yeah. end up watching anything. Um, so everyone's telling you about a series you should see, but you just can't handle it all. Paul is giving them really key things. I mean, mm. think about the church, the New Testament letters. There's not a bunch in there like no, no. of content. You know, this isn't, you know, war and peace. And But what, what Paul does brilliantly is through his relational embedding when he's there, imitate me as I imitate Christ, mm-hmm. and his leadership, he's teaching them how to learn, be Christ-following learners and apprentices of Jesus, not just to give um, you know, endless information. And I think there's a danger here. Formation cannot be, I realize, formation cannot be me just chucking out fantastic content continually. People yeah. themselves have to learn how to listen and follow Jesus. I'm a finite resource. Yeah. And leaders here are finite resources. And and Paul realized that actually what this is about is actually teaching people to think biblically, you know, the transforming of their minds, the renewing mm-hmm. of your minds. Mm-hmm. So you're no longer corrupted by the world. That's what Paul's trying to do, not just give out the weekly incredible sermons that are going to get, you know, heaps of hits on YouTube. Yeah. Well, Paul didn't have the convenience of YouTube, so no. here we are. Uh, all right, so thank you for taking us through those seven. How about a couple of tips on how we embed this as yeah. leaders? I would really encourage leaders to understand that the invitation is a release of, in a sense, autonomy to your people. Now, there's still a sense where I believe the church has to you know, we call still called to lead people. We're still called to have spiritual oversight. I believe all of that. I still believe mm-hmm. that there is role for pastors and, you know, the various functions of the church as outlined in the New Testament. But at this moment, there is actually a release of leadership downward into houses, households, for individuals, for families, for small groups. And that is something that is happening at the moment. You know, I don't believe that we will be meeting in large groups. The nature of this pandemic and what we've learned about super spreader events and particularly churches, um, I think it's going to be some time in many places where we can meet like we used to. Mm. Who knows when that is? We're not in control of that. But what we are in control of is actually releasing, handing the ball over to people saying, we're here to, you know, we're here to lead you but we're leading you through spiritual authority and inspiration and equipping and encouraging. Yeah. But you have the ball. You have an opportunity to how you're going to respond where you are. Great. Well, heaps of challenges in there. I'm just um, going to add one more. Sorry. Oh, please, Sorry. I had, go I had for one it. more. Because um, I know, as soon as I said that, I thought <laughs> there's going to be leaders going, man, okay, that scares me because many leaders in the pre COVID 19 reality. Mm-hmm. Like we can talk about authoritative leaders, but the reality is in our opinionocracy, as I call it at the uh-huh. moment, where people can write an angry Facebook remark on a restaurant they don't like and that gets more traction than the hundred people who ate there mm-hmm. and never said anything um, and enjoyed it, um, that there's a lot of leaders who actually were being oppressed by a hugely opinionated congregation. Okay. <laughs> Often yeah. who weren't led by the spirit, but their own wants and needs. Um, and... The other thing I would say is what's interesting, if, if you're feeling anxious as I ended on that point of you're handing over leadership yeah. and you're a pastor like, cool, I get that, Mark, but I don't know if I want to hand across stuff to those guys, is what's really interesting is in the past, people would say, well, he's, you know, pastor, I want to have a meeting with you because I want to change the five o'clock service and you should be doing this and you should be preaching that and the band should be doing this. What's interesting about this moment is that there's this handing over responsibility, but people then have to lead that responsibility where they are. Yeah. <laughs> so the responsibility handing over is for people's households, 
for themselves. Yeah. They're not being given responsibility for huge parts of church. There's this cellular reality happening at the moment. So yes, there's a handing over responsibility, mm. but also it's almost like that, you know, elder type responsibility. Like, you know, if you're pointing someone an elder, how do they run their household? Yeah. So there's this interesting thing there that if you feel that anxiety, um, this is also not just to break your codependency as a leader. This is also going to break the people in the church's codependency yes. of having opinion without responsibility. Now you have responsibility, but you're also then called to make that happen where you are. If you are the pastor of your household. Mm, wow. So that is a overview of taking uh, your leadership from helicopter pastoring to the priesthood of all believers. Thank you for taking us through that, Mark. And we'll see you next week. 